I invite you to turn with me now to our scripture text, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Please stand as we read God's word. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, that each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day where we could begin to worship you. And then many of us fellowship together and now we can gather together to once again end this day in worship. Um, There's nothing better than that and we thank you for your word, the ministry of your word with which you feed us day in and day out. And Father, we, we ask now that you give us attentive hearts as we approach this wonderful, rich, passage that you give that you give us eyes to see father I, I pray that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O lord my rock and my redeemer in jesus name amen please be seated After being married for over 50 years, a man was asked to reveal his secret of a successful marriage. And he said, well, the wife and I had this agreement when we first got married. When she was bothered about something, she would just tell me and get it off her chest. And if I was mad about something, I was to take a long walk. And he concludes by saying, I suppose you could attribute our successful marriage to the fact that I have mostly led an outdoor life. <laughs> well, you, you laugh because you see how ridiculous this is. Or maybe you laugh because you see yourself in this man and you, you too took a, a rather long walk in your life. And there's nothing wrong about, about that. Um, there's maybe some good wisdom in it, but obviously this is not the remedy for a successful marriage. This is not the remedy for, for unity within a marriage, but it's an important question, isn't it? How do we maintain 
unity. And here in this passage, Paul wants the Philippian church to maintain unity within the congregation, unity in the church. And, and unity in the church is always under attack. And such was the case here in this church. But it's all, not only the church, our, our families, the unity within our families under attack. Our, our marriage is constantly being attacked. Our friendships. Unity is always a very frail thing to maintain. You get married and you realize the other person is very different from yourself. Has a very different upbringing and, and history and, and philosophies and principles. You join a ch church and, and you are all excited uh, how, how lovely and loving all these people are only to find out that, that this is really a church full of sinners. And as one pastor once said, uh, we Calvinists do not only believe in total depravity, we practice it. Um, I don't know how good that theology is, but we realize that there's no perfect church. And, and people are oftentimes very different to deal with. We are not perfect. And so the question is, what is the secret of, of unity? Well, this text tells us unambiguously. The secret of unity is humility. Augustine was once asked, what is, the, what is the virtue a Christian should grace himself with? And he, his answer was humility, humility, and humility. It is that important. And, and Paul gives us here one remedy to maintain and to keep the unity within the church. And he says, keep Uh, have the mind of Christ within you. The very humility that Christ is, is, is showing in this text and what he has done. And it, it sounds often like a cliche, doesn't it? Look to Christ. Um, keep Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. What, what does that mean? And Paul, Paul gives us here a very practical solution. And he says, have the mind of Christ within you. The, the selfless, sacrificial, and servant mind of Christ. This is what we see here in, in, in this passage. Christ was, uh, had a mind of selflessness, a sacrificial and, and servant mind. And so Paul begins here and says, do not look onto, onto your own interest, Let each of you, in verse 4, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. True humility starts here when we see the interests of, of our neighbors, of those around us. And, and Calvin said, now if anything in our whole life is difficult, this above everything is so. This is a very, different, a very difficult, difficult task. To, to have our minds on, on others and, and to esteem them higher than ourselves. This is, this is humility. And it is very difficult. And so Paul, he, he says, not only let us have the mind of Christ within us, but he gives us a description of how it looked like with Christ. What, what, what Christ did for us. And he begins in verse 6 saying, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
Now, this is depths beyond compare, mysteries, a mystery beyond human comprehension. How do you describe something that you can't quite fully comprehend? And, and I, I personally am frustrated all the time because I have to speak and talk to others in, in my second language. And there's always more I want to say or, or in a different way. And I can't quite express myself the way I want to. But this text, and, and I, I believe, and at least for myself, you tremble before that text before, because it is so rich talking about Jesus' glory that he, he did not um, grasp but left in a certain sense. And, and the most gifted preacher, the most profound poet, the most skillful orator would, would not be able to comprehend and express this beautiful truth in this text. If you would combine all languages together, you would not make justice to this truth. How do you express this truth of what God is speaking here? The most astonishing transformation that ever took place in the universe. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was in the form of God and one with the Father from all eternity, bearing the glory of God. And if you look into the Hebrew, the, the word glory has always this, this connotation with, with a weight, with, a, with heaviness. There is, there is weight in, in this word, and in, in simple terms, it is too heavy for us to lift. It is, it is too difficult for us to comprehend. And, and this is the, the, the glory that, the, that Jesus had from all eternity. The Son of the Father eternal for whom the whole creation was, was made. That, is, that, that it might be a theater for his glory. The angels serving him day in and day out. Imagine, ima- imagine a man, the, the most prideful Vain and prideful man you know. And there would be a choir following him. Day in and day out and, and singing praises to him. I would like to think that even the most prideful person would, would feel uncomfortable and saying, I don't deserve this. This is, this is frankly a little awkward. But, but not for Jesus. The heavenly host sang to him day in and day out. Him who is worthy of all glory and honor and power. For he created all things and, and for his will all things exist and were created. And so what follows this thought is astonishing. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he lay aside his visible glory that he had with God and he concealed his glory that he had with the Father. And the question is why? Because of you and because of me. Because he looked at humanity and, and the sin and misery that they were in. And, and he was thinking about humanity. He was thinking about you and he had your interest in mind. Your salvation. And he counted you more important than himself. 
dear Christian, this mere thought should bring us to our knees every time we think about it. The one who had all the right to be with the Father in glory and majesty looked upon humanity and didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he thought about you. Think of a thief who, who, who just secured his treasure unlawfully. How he grasped it with both of his hands, not willing to let go, something that doesn't even belong to him. And often we see in, in, in the movies or in books, we read about a group of thieves and, and at the end of the heist, they turn against each other because they're not willing to share something that doesn't even belong to them. Someone said, everyone has in himself the mind of a king by claiming everything for himself. This is what we do naturally. We want more, and we, we insist on our right. Our right, how often do we insist on it and, and are not willing to budge, not even a little bit? Think of, uh, of, of these pictures we see from the Second World War when, when, when parents hold on to their children and they are being ripped out of their hands. This is something that belonged to them, but they're not willing willing to let go. Jesus could have grasped the glory and said, but Father, I'm so much more important than they are. And nobody could say anything that would be just right. But he was willing to let go. Jesus Christ had a selfless mind towards us that is wonderfully expressed in his humiliation. Do you have this selfless mind that Christ have, has? Calvin, he, he said again, Since then the Son of God descended from so great a height, how unreasonable that we who are nothing should be lifted up with pride. Jesus considered people more important than himself that are actually less important. But he had this selfless mind. He still has the selfless mind. But Paul, Paul continues, and he describes Jesus' humiliation further by saying he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. You see, Jesus could have sit and, and be in the presence of God, having his glory, and think all day about human beings and the, the misery and the sins and we can think all day about our friends and, and the terrible situations they are in, but, but humility takes action. And Jesus, the one who ought to be served, humbled himself by becoming a servant. President Nixon once declared in a speech that the greatest moment in human history was when man walked on the moon. And shortly afterwards, Billy Graham corrected him and said, No, Mr. President, the greatest moment in history was not when man walked on the moon, but when God walked on the earth. If you would ask a Greek philosopher in the first century about the body of mortal man, 
they all agreed on something, and that was that, that the body was weak and frail and, and not to be celebrated. It, it, you, you would need to get rid of it. And that's why they were so opposed to the resurrection. Why would you want a, a body again? And the, 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 the mere thought of it, that, that the Son of God, that God himself would take upon himself flesh and become man, was so bizarre and so obscure to them. But he, he did not only became just a human being, he became the lowest. He, he, he became a servant and his whole life was a, was a service first to his father. He constantly said, I came to not do my own will, but the one who sent me. The will of my father in heaven. But of course, he came to be a servant of man as well. And we, we see that wonderfully expressed in the upper room discourse and in the gospel of John. And we see actually the reenactment of Jesus becoming a servant to his disciples as, as he's sitting with them, having dinner. And then he, he gets up and, and he lays aside his garment. Jesus Christ, the Lord, he lays aside his, his glory and, and he takes upon him a, a, a towel and girded it and washed them. He takes up upon himself the garment of a servant. And he, he kneeled down at the feet and began to wash them. And we, we know how Peter reacted. He, he was recoiled by it. He, he said, you shouldn't. And Jesus did not have to. But he did it anyway. He became a servant to them. He became a servant to us. And he said, I've come not to be served, but to serve. And his whole life was a service. It was a servant life, the obedient son of God, who came to serve from the very point he, he, he entered into this world as an infant to the very end when, we, when he went to the cross. Under the judgment and curse of his father, he entered into our weakness, into our weariness, and into our sorrows, into our tears. He not only had a selfless mind, but a servant mind. And we ask, can the Son of God, who became man, who took the form of a servant, humble himself anymore? Could, be, could the eternal God stoop down any further? And, and, and verse 8 says, yes, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And not only any death, but the death on a cross. Now we hear that perhaps too often, so that the familiarity of this takes away from its significance for us sometimes. But any first century Roman would shatter and tremble of the mere thought of it. In a society where, where honor and shame meant everything, it was the most gruesome and shameful death one could ever imagine. Hanging at the cross, exposed to the whole world, they stripped down his garments, his clothes. He was thirsty and crying out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
But there was no answer. Silence. Because at this very moment he was forsaken. That's how far down he came. Death itself for, for an innocent is cruel enough. But death on the cross for the Son of God. Crucified by the hands of sinners. Christ the King of Kings from the glory in heaven to the shame on earth, from the throne to the cross. By a deliberate act of choice, he did this for your sake and for your salvation. And he brought his infinite glory, as it were, and he laid it in the dust of death and judgment, that he might become a sufficient savior for sinners like you and me. And this is what we Celebrate every Sunday. But we think of the, the, the glorious acts of Jesus that he humbled himself for our behalf, on our behalf. This was the mind of Christ. And we read further, therefore, in verse 9, what was the mind of God? We read, therefore, in, in light of all this, God's response was to exalt his son and give him a name above every name. He, he exalted him as high as his humiliation was low. God raised him and, and appointed a day where every knee, every knee will bow and, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His father has vindicated him by exalting him and, and declared through all the range of heavens and angels and all the redeemed around that this is my son, exalted at my right hand, and I am pleased with him. He, he, did, he, he did it, and he did it perfectly. He, he accomplished salvation. And so the father's response, the mind of the father is to exalt his son, Jesus Christ. And the question is, what should our response be? Our exaltation of Christ consists in our imitation of him. And, and the question is, how can this not affect us? This, what, what Jesus did for us, must affect our Christian character. And, and Paul says, let this mind be in you that is yours in Christ Jesus. Are you imitating Christ? Do you have the mind of Christ, the selfless, servant, and sacrificial mind of Christ? As Calvin said, it is the most difficult thing in, 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 in life, and it comes not naturally to us. But knowing what Christ did, that he humbled himself for us, and, and that he, that, so that he could save us and adopt us and give us his spirit, now we can imitate him and exalt him. And knowing what he did for us, is it too much to ask for what Paul is asking the Christians here. But because of that, because of the gospel, because of, of Christ's humiliation and exaltation, Paul can, can actually exhort them in, in verse 1 to 4 in, in such a loving way and saying, do nothing from self-ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And, and we actually now can, can do so. We can look to each other and we can say to each other, I'm counting you 
more important than myself. Because our Lord Jesus Christ counted me more important than himself. So that I can have salvation and the glorious hope of eternal life. Paul is exhorting the church in Philippi to have the mind of Christ among themselves. And if we would do so, people would wonder about us. People would ask, what is this? There's something different about these people. And it is our, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we imitate and whom we, through our imitation, exalt. So let us have the mind of Christ among ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious passage reminding us of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to death, to the point of death, to the death on a cross. But Father, we thank you that he did not remain that. You exalted him and, and he rose and he is now at the right hand of yours, interceding for us. Father, we thank you for this wonderful gospel truth. And we ask that you give us the grace to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord, our Savior. And to exalt him in our lives by imitating him. By having the same mind of Christ. To, to look to others. To, to raise others more significant, more important. To consider others more important than ourselves to make sacrifices, to be in service to others, and to be a good testimony, a good witness to the hope that is within us. Father, we ask that you give us this grace to, to walk worthy according to our calling, and that in everything that we do and, and say and think, that we, might, that we might lift your name up high in our lives. And glorify you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.